Good morning. Hope you've had a good week. Some of you will have been on half term, I know, and I hope that was a good time rather than a stressful time. Can go either way, can't it, when you've got small children at home? Tim and I have been in um, Watford uh, over these last couple of days at um, Soul Survivor Church at um, their Naturally Supernatural Winter Conference um, for the last two or three days, which has been just so encouraging to hang out with um, part of the wider family of God. Um, God doing lots of great things. Probably my favorite little story from our time there was that one of the delegates was staying in an Airbnb um, place that uh, she'd picked online. And um, on a Thursday evening, she'd gone back to this Airbnb place, had been sharing with the, the Airbnb owner what, you know, what she'd been doing at this conference all day, what God had been doing. And the owner decided, the Airbnb owner decided to come with her on Friday evening and became a Christian. So, so cool. There were lots of great stories, but I think that was my favorite one. And uh, <clears throat> we spent some time uh, in some of the breaks uh, hanging out in one of our favorite coffee shops, Costa Coffee. I like to work in Costa Coffee. I'm an extrovert, so if I'm, you know, on my own doing some sermon prep or whatever, I like to take my laptop to a Costa and uh, just be amongst people. And uh, a few weeks ago, I was, I was doing that in Cheltenham somewhere. Uh, there seemed to be... Costa is taking over Cheltenham, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> It's taking over the world, but it's taking over Cheltenham. I think we've got about six costas uh, in Cheltenham in various places. And I was sitting in a costa, and uh, this mum and her young son came in. Uh, they were obviously on their way back from school, and it was a bit of a sort of, it was clearly a mummy-son time. And uh, they came and plonked themselves sort of at the table next to me, and I had my laptop up, and I looked like I was, you know, typing away and being very diligent. But actually, this conversation began <laughs> between the mum and her son, and it was one of those rather sort of intriguing conversations that I couldn't help listening into. I don't know if it's the, <laughs> I don't know if it's the effects of living near GCHQ, but I couldn't help eavesdropping uh, on this little conversation. And it, he'd obviously had a really tough day at school, and he was really upset, and the tears started rolling down his face, and she did a fantastic job of just being a great mummy, listening to him, putting courage back into him, comforting him, uh, reassuring him. It was really precious. And it was one of those kind of, you know, special moments of insight into a relationship between um, a parent, a loving parent doing a great job with a very um, vulnerable child. And the passage that we're going to look, in, uh, look at this morning in this last uh, subject or this last morning in our healthy habits series is a kind of eavesdropping moment uh, into a conversation between a father and his son between Jesus and his dad the night before Jesus uh, went to the cross we kind of get one side of the conversation we don't hear what God is saying to Jesus as he's pouring out his heart to his dad but we do get to listen into um, this conversation that he's having pouring out his heart it's a raw conversation because he's going to be crucified the next day uh, it goes on for uh, quite a long uh, bit of time in, the, in uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 16 and 17. We're just going to read four verses uh, of Jesus pouring out his heart to his father, and then we're going to go on and talk about them. So if you've got a Bible, you want to turn to John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. It's going to come up on the screens. Uh, I can't remember what version I put it in, but uh, I'm going to read it here from the NLT. So Jesus is praying for himself. 
He's pouring out his heart to God uh, in this garden for himself. Then he starts pouring out his heart about his disciples, his friends, who he's going to leave. And then he goes on to pray for all believers, anybody and everybody that's going to go on to, to put their faith in him. You know, that includes us here this morning. And he says this, I'm praying <clears throat> not only for these disciples, you know, his, his 12, but also for all who will ever believe in me through the, their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I'm in them, you are in me. May they experience such unity, such perfect oneness, that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now, I don't know if, if we were to kind of send a roving mic around uh, the building today and I was to ask you what you were passionate about, I don't know what you'd say. I'm sure we'd come up with a whole uh, pile of things. And this conversation, particularly because it's Jesus' kind of last cry to the heart uh, of God from his own heart, reveals his his deepest passion. He hasn't got time to mince his words here. I don't know about you, but when you're under pressure, you know, the stuff that's really important comes out, doesn't it? When I'm leaving the house in a rush in the morning and I'm late, I might not have time to push the hoover around. I might not have time to put those last things in the dishwasher, but I absolutely have time to check that the windows are closed and the doors locked because when you're really under pressure, what's really important comes to the surface. And Jesus' passion is on here uh, for display he hasn't got a whole an evening to talk to God. Time is running out. And he's pouring out to God his heart for what is most important to him. And what is most important to him that this prayer makes so clear is relationship. He's praying about God's relationship with you, God's relationship with me, our relationship with each other. The thing that Jesus is most passionate about is relationship. He cares about our well-being. He cares about our relationship with money. He cares about our health. He cares about our protection. He cares about, you know, our calling, our purpose. He cares about us, our transformation. He cares about all kinds of things. But when the rubber hits the road and time is limited, what's he praying about? He's praying about relationship, our relationship with the Father and our relationship with each other. And that's kind of really the gospel, isn't it, in a nutshell? It's all about relationship. You know, Jesus came to deal with the stuff that separates us from relationship with Father. The worst possible predicament that we can end up in is to remain disconnected from God. We're born disconnected from God. And the worst predicament that we can remain in is to remain disconnected from God forever. And Jesus came to deal with that separation, that disconnection from God to enable us to enter back into relationship with him through forgiveness, through what he did on the cross. He came for relationship, to establish relationship with us, to restore our relationship to the Father. And here he's praying also, also about our relationship with each other. And over the past few weeks, in our series on healthy habits, if you're here as a visitor this morning, we're finishing our series on healthy habits. We've spent quite a little bit of time, we've spent quite a bit of time looking at those habits that influence and underpin our relationship with God. We've been talking about dwelling with God, about um, spending time in his presence, about reading the Bible, about being open to and filled with the Spirit so that we might, you know, 
walk in the fullness of the Spirit. We talked last week about acts of kindness. This morning, we're talking about connection, about connection to each other, about being connected to community. Because actually, being connected in community is the outworking of our connection to God. If we are only connected to God and not healthily connected to each other, you know, our relationship with God is undermined. It can't work properly. When we moved house a few years ago, I'm not a techie person. Uh, that's why I've got lots of sons. But I was trying to plug in the TV and I stuck the socket into the power socket and I turned the TV on and the TV was working. There were lights everywhere, but I couldn't work out why I couldn't get BBC One and BBC Two up on the screen until one of my sons came in and pointed out that actually I hadn't plugged in the aerial and that I needed the aerial as well as the power socket. And it's kind of a bit like that in our relationship with God. You know, our relationship with God is a bit like being plugged into the power socket, but actually we need to be plugged in and connected with each other for the relationship with God and all that he wants to pour into our lives to be totally effective. Let's look at this passage again. Verse 21, what's Jesus saying? I want them to be one, Father. I want them to be one in us. I want them to be one like we're one. And then he says, I've given them glory so that they might be brought to complete and perfect oneness. He's got oneness on his mind big time as he's about to go to the cross. That's what's on his heart as he's going to the cross. Our oneness, our connectedness, our relationships with each other within his family. And I guess it shouldn't surprise us that this is what Jesus is praying about because oneness is a theme, isn't it, on God's heart throughout the Bible. You know, him with Jesus, with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Marriage is an image. It's a metaphor. It's a picture of God's love for us that we might be one, oneness in marriage. And Jesus is talking about oneness amongst ourselves here on earth. Not sameness, but sharedness. A sharing of our lives, a sharing of our hearts, a sharing of our resources, a sharing of all that we have. And if we're any, in any doubt about the fact that this is God's heart, this is what Jesus is after, this is what Jesus is calling out to the Father for. A few days later, Jesus has been crucified, he's been brought back to life, he's, he's resurrected, he's gone back up to the Father, you know, it's what we call ascension. And a few days later, the disciples are praying in Jerusalem because Jesus has told them to hang on there and wait for the gift the Father sends them and, and the Spirit is poured out. And Gareth was talking about that a couple of Sundays ago, the, the uh, Holy Spirit is poured out. And so often when we, when we talk about and we remember the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, we look at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 and we talk about the flames of fire and the wind or what sounded like the wind and it's all really exciting and there's an awful lot going on and it's supernatural and it's wonderful and it's, we've been talking about some of that um, back over there in Watford. But at the end of the chapter, we see some of the fruit immediately of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we read at the end of the chapter the beginning of the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer. And we find the disciples who've been filled with the Holy Spirit for a few days living differently. And this is what the passage says at the end of that same chapter in Acts chapter 2. We're told that the followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone, that's everyone, was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Everyone, not just the extroverts, were all the believers, they were together. And every, everyone had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. There's a lot of extreme language here, isn't there? Everyone, all, every day. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the blueprint for God's family. This is the beginning. This is the Holy Spirit beginning to answer Jesus' prayer in the garden the night before he died. This is what the Holy Spirit wanted and wants God's family to look like. Everyone together sharing everything all the time, which feels like a really extreme countercultural blueprint to have, doesn't it, in 21st century uh, Britain? And I, you know, I, the working out of it is you know, a challenge for all of us, but I think it's challenging to see what they're doing in this passage. I mean, they were busy. <laughs> They were busy every day they met together in the temple courts. That's the big gathering. You know, they met together in big crowds, but they also ate together in their homes regularly. And, you know, in the Bible, eating together in your home is a picture of intimacy. It's a picture of sharing your life, sharing your heart, sharing your resources. It's where real kind of the real, authentic, honest conversation happened over a meal. They met each other's needs and they used eBay where they needed to. They were really, you know, in this, this passage, in this picture, they were living as one, as one body. And God did the really tough stuff, and it says that he added daily to their number. You know, what, what was going on there was not the fruit of major evangelistic campaigns or fantastic outreach initiatives. They were doing the community thing, and they were doing it with all their hearts, and God was doing the adding to their number thing. It's a beautiful picture of uh, God and his family working together. It's interesting that being connected to community, actually, it's a command. It's a command. Somebody reminded us in Watford this week that, you know, one of Jesus' love languages is obedience. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And being connected to God's family, being connected to each other in, in, in authentic community, it's a command. Love each other as I have loved you. And then the world will know that I have sent you. It's big on Jesus' heart. So I just want to pick two things that I believe that this passage from John points to about our connection with each other. Because it's important to be realistic uh, about what being connected to one another in the way that God calls us to. You know, what it means or what it involves. The first thing about authentic connection. Authentic connection with each other as members of God's family is that it is actually indispensable. It's not an optional extra if we love being with people. It's not an optional extra if we've got loads of free time. It's not an optional extra, you know, if we're lonely or whatever. It's indispensable for all of us. The way that Jesus is mixing up here oneness with each other and oneness with him illustrates that they are linked. That our connectedness and our commitment to each other and our relationships within God's family is an outworking of our commitment and our connectedness to God. That's what Jesus is saying here. So we can't be fully, I can't be fully connected to God if I'm not healthily connected to God's family. 
That's what he's saying here. Just like, you know, in the commandments, Jesus says, love the Lord your heart with all, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love each other. Loving each other is an expression and outworking of our love for God. They're connected. And so it is indispensable. Being connected to God's community in authentic biblical relationships is indispensable. And so that, what that means for us, I think that's really challenging for us if we're honest in 21st century Britain. You know, it means there's no such thing as me and God. We live in a very individualistic age. You know, individualism and independence is highly prized in our culture. But there's no such thing according to God, according to Jesus, as me and God. And yet we live in a, in a world, even a Christian culture that offers us, you know, the opportunity to do the whole me and God thing, you know, all the time. Me and my podcast, me and my worship music, you know, me and my blogs, whatever. There's so much fantastic stuff out there. And, you know, I'm not making any comments about how great it is. But actually, we can't do community via the Internet. We can't do community without the presence, being in the presence of each other. They worshipped, they prayed together, these guys in Acts. They praised together. They ate together. They gathered together physically. And we can't do the me and God thing just through our podcasts and our worship music. And even just walking into a meeting and not speaking to somebody and walking out again and going home. That is not authentic biblical community, which I think is really challenging for us, you know, in our day and age. But God is passionate about us doing life together. And he's created us to need each other, which is why it will never work for us to go the kind of me and God on my own route. You know, he said to Adam in the garden before the fall, it's not good for you to be alone. You know, and he was talking about Adam's need for relationship. And yes, it went on to be marriage, but they were told to fill the earth. God has made us to be fulfilled and our needs to be met in the context of a whole variety of different relationships, not just our nuclear family relationships. So God will never release you from your shame. He will never bring all the healing that you need. He will never bring all the encouragement you need. He will never put all the courage into you that you need. He will never give you all the wisdom that you need. He will never give you all the, the counsel that you need, the comfort that you need, the support that you need by directly downloading it to you from heaven. Most of it, you know, some of it, he will speak to you directly. He speaks to us directly. We believe in a God who speaks and we believe in a God who empowers and a God who ministers to us through the power of the Spirit. But most of what we need, he gives to somebody else in the family as a gift to give you. So somebody else has the comfort you need. Somebody else has the encouragement that you need to strengthen you to go out and be the witness that God's called you to be. Somebody else has the word from God that you need, the prophetic word that you got from God that you need to release hope into you. Somebody else has most of the time what you need. But we only position ourselves to receive it when we're connected in authentic community with each other and open ourselves up to each other. The Bible uses all kinds of different metaphors about the family of God. One of them is the flock. You know, we're, we're told we're the flock of God. Psalm 100 says, God made us, we're his, we're his people, the sheep of his pasture. I don't know about you, but sheep aren't very fancy animals, are they? <laughs> They're a bit stupid. They look pretty ugly. <laughs> And uh, they get into, they're one of the few animals that get into trouble without somebody to look after them all the time. You know, cows don't need looking after like sheep do. Sheep need a shepherd. 
And one of the metaphors about the body of Christ in the Bible, you know, the people of God, we're described as being like a flock because in a flock, we are cared for and protected. We, our well-being is, you know, is, is most, we are most well, most healthy, most, most well looked after when we are together. It's when sheep go astray and get separated from the flock that they get into trouble. And I think that's one of the enemy's supreme ways of seeking to weaken us and defeat us as followers of Jesus. To weaken our faith to, is to, you know, one of his supreme ways of doing that is to begin to separate us from the flock. You know, to begin to peel us off into separation, to begin to get us to believe the lies that, well, I don't need the family of God. You know, I've got my podcast, I've got my worship music or whatever. And it's a, it's a, it's a slow step-by-step journey for a sheep to become separated from the shop from the flock but sheep are no good on their own they can't find their way back to the right kind of places on their own they need rescuing they get stuck in bushes they're they're vulnerable to predators you know it's a picture of the fact that we're most safe and most protected when we are connected to God's flock there's some other brilliant metaphors in the bible we haven't got time to go into them all but you know the body the bible talks about, about us being a body well, if you're a member of the body, you know, you might be an ear, you might be a hand, you might be, you know, part of the heart, you might be a muscle or whatever. You know, we find our value, don't we? We find our value and our purpose being connected to the rest of the body. You know, if you're a finger being cut off and separated and, you know, over there somewhere, what happens to a, you know, cut off a finger? It dies, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a, another brilliant picture of being connected in community and, the, and how powerful and essential it is for us to fulfill the purposes for which God has made us. You know, the Bible talks about us um, flourishing and producing fruit in the context of community. We're so familiar, and we've talked about in this series, the passage of the vine. And uh, we, we often talk about the vine, you know, just being Jesus. But actually, the disciples would have heard that picture of the vine and the vineyard, and they would have connected it in their minds to the uh, metaphor of God's people. Because in the Old Testament, the vineyard, the vine, always represented God's people. And when Jesus talks about himself, he's often talking about his body, you know, his head and his body. And he is, his body is the church. So we've got to be connected to the body to bear fruit. God's made us to bear fruit, to to be fruitful, to make a difference in our world. But we've got to be connected in authentic relationship to be able to bear the fruit that he's planned for us to bear. And of course, the beautiful image of, of family, the metaphor of family. Well, what do you do in a family? You find out who you are. You find out who we are. We discover our true identity in the context of family because our identity comes from relationship. You know, we so often kind of connect our identity to jobs, you know, what we do. It's fascinating, isn't it? When you meet somebody, so often the first thing they say to you is, what do you do? (laughs) You know, as if somehow we get our identity from what we do, but what we do changes. We're not what we do. What we do is our assignment. What we do is our assignment and it's connected to our gifts. But who we are is our identity, and we discover who we are in the context of relationship. And supremely, because we have all kinds of, of broken relationships, our eternal, unchanging identity, we discover that in the context of God's family. So you're a, you're a daughter of the King of Kings. You're a son of the Most High God, and you're a brother or a sister of Jesus. And you're a brother and a sister of the person sitting next to you. 
and we learn about our identity in order to be able to live from the fullness of the kingdom identity that God has given us through relationship with each other in the context of God's family. Beautiful, beautiful metaphors, but challenging, I think. You know, I find it challenging, the whole concept of being connected in authentic biblical community in a busy, challenging world. But, you know, Jesus is praying about oneness. It's indispensable. It's a command. And then the other thing I think it's important to remember about uh, authentic connection, being authentically connected to the community of God, is that it's also at times inconvenient but really good for us to identify that so that we don't let inconvenience, as it were, put us off. What, it's, what struck me about this passage is Jesus is praying his heart out. How often do you pray for things that you know are dead certs that are going to happen? I don't know about you. If something's gonna, if I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not praying about you know, that God would provide me lunch today because I know that some lovely friends are going to provide me lunch today. I don't tend to pray about the things that I know are going to happen. I tend to pray about the things that have got a big question mark over them. They're not dead certs. And if Jesus is praying for this oneness of connection, this oneness in his family amongst his brothers and sisters, because it's going to make such a difference to how they live and such a difference to how the world sees us, and therefore such a difference to how the world sees him, what that tells me is that it's not a dead cert. He needs to be praying in order for it to happen. And one of the reasons is that it's not a dead cert, you know, that it's not an an automatic, as it were, it's not a given, is because community and being connected in community is inconvenient. It's inconvenient who God puts us alongside. It's inconvenient who he asks us to love. I mean, Jesus prayed this prayer after washing the disciples' feet that night. You know, he got down on his knees and he washed their feet. And then he said, go and do that to each other. You know, that's an expression of community, isn't it? I think we can often fall into the the mindset of coming to, to God's family, coming here or going to our groups or going wherever as customers. You know, I want to sit in the chair and I want to put my feet up and I want somebody to, you know, paint my nails or wash my feet or whatever because it's more comfortable. Do I want to get down on my knees and wash somebody else's feet instead. That's a bit more inconvenient and it's a bit more uncomfortable. But Jesus said, I've done it for you, so I want you to do it for others. Do you know, when, we were, when our kids were young, we've got four kids, for those of you who don't know us, and because we, you know, God impressed this kind of, I suppose, value on, on, on us very early on about being committed to his family, however inconvenient it is, we used to invite you know a number of young adults around on a Sunday you know particularly those that you know were single or whatever so we often used to have a a house full of young adults or young couples in our house for lunch and do you know what with four kids having been to church in the morning it was really inconvenient I'm not going to suggest to you it was easy it was really inconvenient it would have been much easier just to go home and feed ourselves and put our feet up and watch tv on a Sunday afternoon but you know it was a way of blessing other people but then when my eldest son, about, Tom, was about 10 or 11, he came home from school one day and he asked me, and he said, Mum, do you think everything in the Bible is true? Because there's some people at school telling me that I can't believe what I read in the Bible. And I said to him, well, Tom, what do you think, darling? What, do you think everything in the Bible is true? What do you think about it? And he, he sat there and he paused for a moment, and this sort of slightly quizzical look came across his face as he was thinking, and then he said, yeah, I do think it's true, actually. 
And I said, oh, why is that? And he said, well, because there's so many cool people at church who believe it's true. And it was a beautiful expression in that moment of the fruit in his life of being exposed to community that had been inconvenient at many times for us. You know, having people in our home because we wanted to bless them and be obedient to this command to be involved with God's people and the fruit that it produced in his life, seeing these cool people from church who believe the Bible. And it was part of the foundation in his heart and his life and his mind as a teenage boy about what he believed. But authentic connection is, can be inconvenient. And do you know what? We live in an age which promotes convenience, doesn't it? You know, our phones, they make life so convenient. We were, had picked a, up a, a child yesterday to go to the meeting, and we were late, so we drove into a McDonald's, and we spied the, the drive-through queue, which is the more convenient option, thought it looked too long, so we went in, and we picked the wrong option. It would have been much easier to go through in the car and, you know, and get our food that way. But we have food you know, that is so convenient, we can drive past a window and pick it up. And I think, I don't know about you, but I think we can end up being wired about making our decisions in life based on convenience. Is it convenient for me to go to life group tonight? Is it convenient for me to go to church this weekend? It's not convenient for me to go and speak to this person over there because actually, you know, the parking's running out on my car. And of course, some of those scenarios are valid. But I wonder how often we shrink back from pushing through the inconvenience because God you know, wants us to be connected to a community because it's a command, because it's there for our fulfillment and our fruitfulness and our identity and all of that stuff. It's not always inconvenient. It's not always convenient to love the people that God calls us to love, to wash the feet of the people that he calls us to, whose feet he calls us to wash. But in the end, blessing is, the blessing of God is never poured out where convenience lies. You know, Jesus went to the cross. It's the epitome, isn't it? You know, inconvenience is a, is a pathetically small word for what he did. But the blessing of God is not poured out on convenience. The blessing of God is poured out on sacrifice, actually. And sometimes getting, you know, getting to that place of being able to bless somebody, choosing to open your heart up when you're afraid of what they, how they might respond to you, Choosing to share something deeply personal because God wants to pour his healing into your life. It's not always convenient. It's costly. But actually, that's where God's blessing is poured out. It's where God's blessing is poured out. Psalm 133. It says where the believers, where the people, where the family of God live together in oneness, that's where the Holy Spirit is poured out. That's God's word It's God's heart. The kingdom is a supernatural, the kingdom that we belong to is a supernatural kingdom. You know, we live in a world where community is crumbling. We have a minister for loneliness in our country now. You know, community sort of in many people's minds now means online community. The church, God's kingdom, we're a countercultural bunch of people. We should be modeling, God wants us to model a different alternative, a life-giving alternative to what the world offers, where we can find healing, where we can find acceptance, where we can discover our identity, where we can grow our gifts, where we can bear the fruit that we've been called to live. It's indispensable, but it's inconvenient.
but it's unbelievably life-giving. So I want to finish with just a couple of words. If you're here this morning and you're not connected in some way to this community in smaller relationships, they met in the big place, the temple courts, which is what we would refer to in here, but they also met in people's homes. If you're not meeting with other people in other homes, you know, one of the main ways we offer that opportunity here is in life groups, you know, but there are other ways of doing it. I want to encourage you to, to think about that, to pray about that with, you know, or maybe make a decision about that with the Lord this morning. We have a welcome desk at the back over there. If you know that you need to get connected and it's a decision you need to make this morning, I want to encourage you to go and do that. It's a command. It's a command for your own well-being. And I also just want to say that, you know, if you're here today and you recognize within you that actually you need God to give you uh, a fresh love for his heart and his people, you know, that actually what's lacking in, in your heart is a love for his body, his family, his people in such a way that motivates you to step out and step into washing other people's feet in some kind of way. I want to encourage you to take that to the Lord. You know, he's the one that changes our hearts. He's the one that moves our hearts. But his heart is for oneness, for shared lives. And we want to track with what he's doing here so that we can inherit and be, you know, inherit the blessing and be the blessing that he's called us to be. So why don't we stand? If you're a visitor here, we uh, <clears throat> like to finish our, our times together, our celebrations, just by allowing the Lord to uh, minister to our hearts in response to what we've been crying out to him with, what we've been listening to uh, during our time together. And we've got, got a few moments before coffee calls and kids call. So we're just going to spend a few moments waiting on him, waiting on the Holy Spirit. We're just going to see what he wants to do in these moments. So can I encourage you to close your eyes? You might want to hold out your hands in front of you just as a, it's not a, it's not anything special, but it can be a helpful way of just demonstrating your openness to him, to what he wants to do in these moments. And the Holy Spirit, we would just want to say, we love you. We love your presence. We thank you for your presence here with us this morning, and we just want to invite you in these moments to come closer. To come in greater power. To manifest your presence in us. To come and move on our hearts. To come and fill us afresh. To come and speak to us again. Just come. Come Holy Spirit. We want to wait for you. We want to wait on you. We're just going to wait for a few moments. Thank 
The Lord is here. Just keep waiting. More of you, Lord. More of you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence here. you know that the Holy Spirit is just touching you, he's here, and if you know that he's touching you in a particular way, I just want to invite you to come begin to make your way down to the front, and one of the ways that we express our love for each other and wash each other's feet is to bless what God wants to do in our hearts and minds and our lives. And this is one of those moments when he has opportunity to do that. And so if you know the Lord is just touching you in this moment, I want to encourage you just to make your way down to the front. And if we, if some of the prayer team could come out and begin to make your way down and just begin to lay a hand on the shoulder of a brother or sister and just begin to bless what the Lord is doing. Just begin to make your way down. I just have this sense that there are some of you, there are some here this morning and you have felt disconnected from God for whatever reason. And you're just longing for a sense of reconnection to him and a sense of encounter with him. You know, maybe you're in a dry place Maybe you're, you're struggling over something, I don't know, but maybe it's a while since you've just felt a real connection with him. And I just believe that there's a word here of encounter, that, that God wants to meet you in a fresh way this morning. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you to come down. Just make your way down. And just let somebody bless you and pray for you. If you're here, and you know that you um, need, you, of course you'll know that you're sick. You want prayer for healing. We love to pray for, for healing as we gather. We see God doing all kinds of things as we pray for each other. If you're here and you're sick or that you want to break through in some way, don't miss this moment to uh, be prayed for. I also have this word freedom. And just the sense this morning that there's anointing here for freedom. Uh, and I don't know what that might mean for you, whether, there's, whether you're wrestling with something and you're not getting a kind of the breakthrough that you're praying for. Maybe it's to do with anxiety. Maybe it's to do with depression. I don't know. But I just have this sense that there's an anointing here for freedom this morning. So if you're longing for freedom in any area of your life, you're longing to see God set you free or bring freedom to somebody that you love. Again, I want to encourage you to come down. If we could have some more people to come and pray. Can we have some more women to come and come down to the front?